boom, boom, boom. Good morning. So glad to see you. Glad you're here. If you have your bulletin, your celebration guide, if you're a guest, in fact, Nicole, come on up. If you're, a, if you're a guest of ours for a second or third time, we would ask you to please fill out a registration, rip it off, put it in the offering plate when it comes around. Now, coming up on the stage right now is Nicole Brown. Uh, she and family have been with us for 14 years, and uh, we have asked her to be our family care minister. She'll be starting tomorrow. And we're, we know she's going to do a great job. She's got the right personality and the right character for that job. And we're, we're just thrilled she's coming on board. Her family sits over here, if you'll stand. Husband, Eric, Sam, Brianna, Connor, Ashley, and the baby, and Cole? Colton. Colton. All right. Good to have y'all. Give her a big hand. And listen, if you need anything... Just give her a call at the office, and she has her own email and everything else. Just let her know, because she has a heart for family care, and is going to do a great job. God bless y'all. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to sit through another service. You, you want to. Okay. All right. Now, we're going to ask you to stand and welcome somebody around you to church.
our hallelujah the highest praise that we can give you when we say thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus thank you Jesus that you are all that we have God sometimes and and we just want to praise you this morning because there's nothing on earth that's worth anything more than you are this morning as we take up our tithes and offering I pray that you would use it to further your kingdom that others would know the goodness of God and learn and know to praise our Father in heaven. We pray as you would bless it and use it for your glory. Amen.
don't even know sometimes when you're being good to us, Lord. We move so fast. But when we are your child, Father, you are being good to us. You're watching over us, Lord. You're speaking to us, Father. You're hoping our ears will hear. Our hearts will be obedient, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray this morning, Father, that my eyes would be open more to see the goodness in the land of the living, Father to see the goodness here, the full moon this morning, Jesus, the goodness and the glory and the power of our Father, Jesus. Thank you, Father, in your precious name. We honor you this morning, and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Well, we're beginning a new series today. It'll last the month of June, four sermons that I know of. And I was going to save this one till the third week. And then after some events that took place this week, um, and then uh, headlines in our paper yesterday, um, I decided, no, I think this, this is the timing that maybe God has chosen 
So what I want to share with you today, I'm beginning a whole series on the countercultural statements that Jesus made that went against the culture of his time and our time. And what I want to talk to you about today is what he said about the value of marriage. Um, controversial, yes, countercultural statements of the Lord. And what he said about marriage is becoming more and more countercultural every day. So we read in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9, these words from Jesus. God's plan was seen from the beginning of creation. He made them male and female. That explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one separate them, for God has joined them together. Now, Jesus said real clearly that God's plan is that marriage is between a man and a woman. What a radical concept. But folks, it's becoming more and more radical every day. Um, these last few years, and I, I go back to 2020 with COVID and how all of that changed our society and people started doing this, doing that, and just going extreme on everything. And in the, in the last three or, or four years, you take a look at, at the news, what is happening in our nation, what is happening around the world, and it is, on, it is, it is somewhere in the news every single day. Um, the county next to us just the other night um, had a big issue about what I'm going to be talking about, about what they're teaching kids, you know, in the classroom. Um, if you saw the headlines of the Chronicle yesterday, um, you saw this plastered across the front. Um, but Jesus said very plainly that it was between a man and a woman. Now, there's a lot of talk out there about what is the definition um, of a marriage. And on one hand, you have people now that are talking about same-sex marriage and all the other uh, aberrant type of uh, marriage relationships. You have people talking about, well, we need a federal protection act for traditional marriage. So this is obviously an issue that is going to be with us for a long, long time. But it is also an issue on which the Bible and the Lord Jesus have a lot to say. So we're going to spend a few minutes today looking at what God has to say about this incredibly important uh, issue that is a part of our world right now. And I want to tell you from the very beginning, this is not a political speech. I am not a politician. Thank God I'm not. You know, um, seriously. But for those of you that may be involved in politics, if you're trying to do the best you can and stand for what is right, God bless you. You know, you need all the help you can get, and we need people like that But because uh, it, it is a tough job to do well. I'm not much of a debater or an arguer either. I am what I am now after 42 years. I'm a pastor, and I'm a teacher, and that's what I like to do. So I want to spend a few minutes um, just sharing with you what the Bible has to say about what God says that marriage as defined by Jesus, as defined by God and the Bible, and why it is so valuable that it's between a man and a woman. Now, you may totally agree with me from the very beginning, 
And I'm sure, you know, just I know I'm preaching to the choir. We mostly do that all the time. But I know that probably 99 out of every 100 will, will agree with what I'm going to say. But you may not know why you agree. And so if someone wants to argue with you and ask you why, I'm going to share with you some reasons why. And I encourage you to write these down. Write down everything you can about it that makes sense to you. And, and keep it so that you can share it with people in the future. Now... There's another group of people out there, Christians, that really concern me, and that is those that say, oh, just leave it alone. You know, what's the big deal anyway? I mean, why are we even wasting one Sunday talking about this? Just let people do whatever they want to do. Who cares about it? Well, I hope that in what we're going to say today, we will look at what God says and why it is an important thing to him and therefore should be to us. Now, some agree, you may, some of you may totally disagree. So let me just say thank you for sticking around, and I honor you for being here. Uh, I want to be able to share with you today in a kind way, as the Bible says, in a kind, gentle, and respectful way about this. Hebrews, now what I'm saying may uh, not set well with some, but I hope the way I say it will. Hebrews chapter 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Well, why is that so important? You know, why does God say that all of us, whether we're single or whether we're married, um, or whether you've got this wonderful marriage going, or whether you're struggling in your marriage, why does God say we should hold that in honor? Why does God value marriage? Well, there's four things that I'm going to share with you that I believe are vital that you can share hopefully at some point with others. Uh, first of all, and then we're going to talk about what we can do about it. But first, we need to talk about why God values marriage. Are you ready? First, fill in the blank. Marriage is important because it values God's creation. Marriage is God's idea. It is not a government program. It is God's idea. It is not a social experiment. It is God's idea. It is not some legal contract only. It is God's idea. And it was his idea from the very beginning. And so we have to understand that God has said, I made them male and female. And that is my concept of marriage. Genesis 1:27. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Now, Genesis 1 tells us the short version of what God did. And in Genesis 2 gives us the long version of how he did that. And God tells us kind of the order that it happened. Now, first of all, we know that the first thing that he did was he created Adam. And at the beginning, uh, Adam was in this world all along with the animals. Now, you may not know this if you don't know a little bit about the first chapter of Genesis, but God allowed Adam, every animal was named by Adam. Did you know that? He gave names to all the animals. Now, my imagination tells me that he might have got a little tired doing that job. I mean, at the very beginning, you know, it might have been really kind of exciting and creative, like, okay, you're going to be a, a duck-bill platypus. 
you know, and you're going to be a hippopotamus and you're going to be a rhinoceros. And about the time he got to the end, it was, you know, you're a fly, you know, you're a bee, you know, something like that. I don't know. But the Bible says this, that Adam gave names to all the livestock, all the birds, all the animals, but there was no companion suitable for him. See, God was teaching Adam something. Um, Adam was becoming more and more lonely, even though he was there in the Garden of Eden. Folks, he's living in paradise. He's got a cushy job. You know, and he's got these animals sitting all around him, and he's naming them. But something is missing in his life. Now, just imagine with me spending all day, guys, looking at baboons and elephants and pigs and raccoons, and then Eve comes along. And remember, there's no clothes on them in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. And she walks by, and Adam goes, wow. I, I really do believe that's what he said. And in Genesis chapter 2, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to Adam. At last, Adam exclaimed, She is part of my own flesh and bone. See, he saw something in her that met a need in his life, like nothing else in all of God's creation could meet. So God created men and women, and he created marriage to meet that incredible need that they had. Does that make sense? Mark 10 says, as we read, the two were united uh, into one. That is why God created men and women in marriage. Folks, because it is God's creation, we have every right to speak out strongly for God's creation. Because it is his idea from the beginning, not ours, not the world's, it, it was his idea. In fact, we not only have a right to speak out strongly, we have a responsibility to speak out strongly. Now, the more powerful something is, the more dangerous it is when you use it wrongly. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you got a couple of like nice Black & Decker electric drills like I got, and if you ever see your wife taking it because she don't want to look up to find a hammer, and she turns that drill around upside down and she's wanting to drive a nail, uh, do you think you might say something? Yeah. You're going to say, hey, wait a minute, that's not what that's intended for. That's not the purpose. And so I guess what I'm saying is that the more powerful something is, the more dangerous it is to use it the wrong way. And marriage is extremely powerful to be used the wrong way. It's an incredibly powerful thing that God has given us. So, you know, we wonder sometimes, you know, about, about why God created it the way he did um, and, and why does God allow marriage to be such a contrast. I mean, we all know sometimes it's just awesome and sometimes it's a struggle. But we do know this. We know that marriage um, values God's creation. Can we agree on that? Secondly, marriage values our differences. Marriage values our differences. How many of you would agree that men and women are different? Yeah, Genesis 1, and we read it already, 27. 
in the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. I circled uh, image of God and male and female and drew a line. Because folks, listen, God didn't want us to make a mistake about this and think that, that God only created men in his image. It says very plainly, he created both men and women in his image. It takes both. Ladies, you ought to be saying amen about that. I mean, it takes both men and women, are you listening to this? It takes both men and women to reflect the image of God in this world. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, yes, God, listen, don't misunderstand. God is said to be in the Bible our perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And I, and I agree with that. No doubt about that. But in order for him to reflect his image to the world, he made male and female, it said, in his image. That's the way he made it to be. My distinctives as a man, your distinctives as a woman, is what clearly represents to the world what God is like. But he created us to be different. And then he put us together in a marriage. How funny is that? I mean, really? I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but it can be a terrible thing. I mean, really, those differences can bring both delight and they can bring disaster. Now, there's a book written years ago that I would encourage you, only three or four people in the first service had ever read it, but I would encourage you, it is still, to me, very appropriate. It was written by Bill and Pam Farrell, and it was called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. Anybody ever read that? Men are like waffles. You know, some, a few have, not many, uh, in, in this group. Well, what are they talking about here? Well, uh, it's simply like um, we're different in the way we think. I mean, women are more like a plate of spaghetti. You know what a plate of spaghetti looks like? You know, just everything going around like this and everything going right that. It's just everywhere. And, and, and their thought process is like that. But men, listen, ladies, men... This is important, ladies, for you to hear this. Men are like waffles. We, you know, you know what a waffle looks like, right? You got all these squares. And the squares are lined up this way, right? This way, right? That way, can, they're, they're lined up. And so, men, we have a, I have a, I have a square that's my eating, a square that's my sport watching, uh, a square that's this, that. We all have a square. And listen, this is so vital. I have a lot of empty squares. Every man has got a lot of empty squares. So, ladies, when you say to him, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. That's exactly right. He, no, seriously, he really is not thinking anything. But what you do is say, because you're a spaghetti thinker, what you're doing is saying, he's hiding something from me. I know he's thinking something, and he needs to tell me what he's thinking. Well, it's just the way it is. Why did God do that? To reveal what he is like. And I like what one person said, that, that it's like God put us together, and we're like heavenly sandpaper with one another. We, we sand off the rough edges in each other's life, if we allow that. Romans 15, may God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ Jesus toward the other. Well, what's that attitude? So accept each other 
just as Christ accepted you, and then God will be glorified. What does he say? Accept each other. I don't want you to miss those words. Accepting each other is a key to a healthy marriage. And let me just say, folks, that's not always easy. It's not easy to make that decision. It can be one of the greatest, though, moral choices that you ever make is to value the differences that you have with one another. I like what I read this week. Someone said that a successful marriage requires falling in love many times with the same person. Think about that. Maybe some of you need to fall in love again with the differences that drew you together. You know, we we have a saying around here that in the beginning opposites attract and then they attack. And that's what we're talking about. If you'll remember those differences, what was it that made you fall in love with them in the first place? Yeah, God made us to be different. You got those two? Number three is going to be difficult for me. This is going to be hard for me not to be, in fact, I'm going to try to tone my voice down a little bit because I don't want to be too dramatic and I don't want to be my um, demeanor to come across in the wrong way. But I want to be very truthful about this. So please listen. Marriage values our children. There is no more compelling of a reason for God valuing our marriage than your children and what he wants to do in their life. The Bible says in Psalm 127.3, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. So what kind of a pervert? is it that promotes this drag queen stuff and wants to make sure they're doing it and get the opportunity to do it in front of children? You know, what what kind of a pervert wants to dress demonically and get in front of kids like that? What kind of a pervert wants to encourage kids to question their gender? And to question how God made them. What kind of a pervert wants to put drugs in their body to change what God made them to be? What what kind of a pervert wants to be able to read books in a library or in a school or see movies of disgusting sex acts? What kind of a pervert wants to hide their actions and their sexual acts and the things that that they want to show kids and, and make sure that the parents don't know anything about it? What kind of a pervert does that? They're a fragile gift. They are an incredible gift. And you don't have to look at just the Bible for this, folks. Over 10,000 studies Show us that what we're doing with kids today in this area of sexuality is destroying them and leading to unbelievable suicide rates. It takes a man and a woman to make a baby. 
they can't create one. They have to recruit one. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, preacher, you know, are you saying that I'm a single man or a woman here and through no fault of my own, my ex walked out on me or whatever? Are you saying that my kids can't be healthy? I am not saying that at all. Please, I am not saying that at all. What I'm saying that is if, if you take this down to a real simple level, every child, in my opinion, in a family needs three things. Okay, this is not in your notes if you want to write them down. They need three things. They need a model of femininity, a feminine side. They need a model of masculinity, and they need a model of commitment. Now, the masculinity may be, if the dad's not there, it may be a, a granddad, it may be an uncle, it may be a pastor. It may be a coach. It, you know, just so they have that masculine influence in some way. And the feminine influence. And then commitment. When we think about our kids, folks, it, it just, it, it breaks my absolute heart when I think every day what I read that people are wanting to do today. And, you know, at some point, every kid's going to have to make a choice, too. And moms and dads, when they get to the appropriate age, they're going to need you and to go over Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. You know what? Listen, I've been, I've been doing this a long time. And I've heard story after story after story. And a lot of it, just almost sometimes you say, man, I can't believe that your mom and dad treated you like that. But they do. There's some terrible, terrible examples of that out there. And I'm not, you say, preacher, how in the world could I honor a mom or a dad like that? I'm not saying you honor what they did. I'm saying that you could at least honor the fact that God used their genes to bring you into the world. And you could at least say, I'm not going to grow in bitterness. And I am going to follow the Lord and let his love be my, my father or mother love. Second decision every child has to make, Proverbs 1.8. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. You know what that tells me? That sometimes they need spaghetti and sometimes they need a waffle. Talking to them. Why does God value marriage? Because he values our kids. And moms and dads, Teachers, church leaders, pastors, administrators, doctors, politicians. I don't see any exclusions, what I'm about to say in Scripture. If you put in the, in the path of one of these little ones the opportunity to stumble, to fall morally, it's better if they put a millstone around your neck and threw you into the Gulf of Mexico. That's what the Bible says very clearly. Number four, marriage values Jesus's love. I didn't come up with this one. I'm telling you, this, this, when I read a, a pastor that had said this, I thought, I've never thought that. Never, it never dawned on me. How much does God value marriage? Are you listening? 
God chooses marriage as a picture of Jesus' love. Did you know that? His love for us, he uses marriage. As imperfect as we are, as imperfect as marriages are. Ephesians 5, 24, 25, wives should always put their husbands first as the church puts Christ first. The husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Wives, it says, put your husbands first like Jesus puts us first. Then he says, now husbands, you ought to be willing to even die for them. You know, if both were doing that, it'd be a pretty happy marriage, wouldn't it? If she knew you would die for her, and if he knew that you respected him like that, wow. It goes on in Ephesians 5, I don't have it in your notes, but it says, Jesus died so he could give the church to himself like a bride in all of her beauty. Isn't that amazing? God chooses to picture Jesus as the groom and the church as the bridegroom. That's how important it was to him. And not only then or now, but all the way into eternity. So the obvious question for me then is, well, if all these four things are true, then what do we need to do? Stay with me for just a few more minutes, but write these down. Well, you don't write them down. I wrote them down. There's no fill in the blank. Number one, first of all, we have to live the truth. We've got to live the truth. That's where it starts. It doesn't matter what we say if we don't live it. Folks, if we don't live it in the churches, we're not going to make an impact on this culture. Okay? So in Romans, uh, Paul over in Romans 2, when he's trying to correct people that go to church all the time and, and, and you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, Paul, get on that group. They're doing this wrong. They're doing that sexually wrong and da-da-da-da. Paul says, wait a minute. You say that people should be faithful in their marriage. Are you faithful? And then he goes on and uses a bunch of other examples. But folks, the truth is, if we're going to win this fight for God's plan for marriage in our culture, then we have got to fight as individuals. For instance, the only marriage that I can fight for is mine. Amen? That's the only marriage I can fight for. And it's an individual decision that we have to make. Now, most of you know that every study has shown, and it's true, that the divorce rate is the exact same in the church as it is out of the church. It's the exact same. And the only way that we're going to change that is one marriage in one church at a time, that we make a point to do that. Now, listen, I know what I'm saying today is painful. For some, it's not easy stuff. I know I've been wading in deep water now for about 30 minutes. But let me just tell you something. There is nothing in me, please believe this, there is nothing in me that wants to increase your pain. I want you to have hope. And, you know, and, and again, the truth of the matter is that some of you feel like, you know, Pastor, I'm just spending all my time fighting against my spouse or fighting against my spouse and my kids. Well, that's why I'm hoping that this weekend something will change in your life and you'll start fighting for your marriage. And you might be saying, as some have, and I've been there like you, I don't have the energy anymore. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength to fight like that anymore. You know, I'm done. Well, folks, listen carefully. We cannot change the past, but there's not a one of us in here that has not made mistakes and failures and even sin in our lives and in our marriages. 
And some of you might be thinking, yeah, but Lord, man, what, what's been going on in our life are some big, big factors. I mean, I failed myself. I failed them. It's just, it's over. And now, after listening to you for 30 minutes, I feel like I've, I've, lost, I've uh, failed my whole culture. <laughs> God will forgive our past. Totally. He will have mercy on our past. And folks, what you and I can do is simply this. We can say, I'm going to start to be faithful right now. No matter what's going on. You may have had a fight coming in here, but you can say, I am going to be faithful and I'm going to start fighting for my marriage. I'm going to start right where I am and I'm going to be faithful in my marriage. You can do that. Now, the truth is, I can't tell you what is going to happen in our society with this issue. I got some ideas. I think it's going to keep going, getting worse and worse. I mean, right, like right now in Japan, you can marry a robot if you want to. No, no, really, it's legal. And I just imagine that in, in America, before long, we're going to see people wanting to marry an animal. That's it's coming. It's, oh, no, it's coming if, if we last very much longer. I can't tell you what's going to happen, but here's what. I think we should fight for it. There's no guarantees. But there is one decision that no legislature, no Supreme Court, no executive order by the president can change in my life, and that is this. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That can be done. So we can start there. We can live the truth. Number two, we can share the truth. And that means with your family and especially your kids at the appropriate time as they grow. And then the last thing, third, we need to stand for the truth. And folks, we have to do what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Listen to this as I read it. If anybody asks you why you believe what you do, be ready to tell them and do it in a gentle and respectful way. That's what our culture needs. People who will tell the truth, that's us, in a gentle and respectful way. Angry letters to the let editor? No. Shouting matches at board meetings? No. Shouting at the cable news? You know, the other night I, I turned to channel 642 to watch the Hernando County School Board meeting. And they were having a, a big thing down there, and it was about showing an inappropriate movie um, you know, in the, in the system and everybody, they had gotten everybody together and packed the place with a couple of hundred, uh, people that were all for immorality and the perversion. And, and, and I, I just sat there and I prayed cause they were screaming, cursing, threatening. And I thought, see that, and if we don't go along with it, then we get called the bigot. For, and I, I never understood that, of how just standing for God and truth makes you that. But I'm just going to tell you, when you stand for a truth that's controversial, you're going to get criticized. It, it's, it's going to happen. But what I cannot understand is why, see, see, this is how I know something deeply moral, immoral, is going on in our country. Money used to control everything. I mean, you just follow the money for people's motives. You want something to change, get money involved. But I don't see that now. 
Why in the world would Disney, Coca-Cola, Bud Light, what's the other one? Target. Why in the world would they continue doing what they're doing, losing billions of dollars? Why? Because it's a moral issue. It's a spiritual issue. We are in the last of the last of the last days. Because before that, folks, if, if somebody was losing billions of dollars, start the, the uh, stockholders make a change. I mean, turn this thing around. Money controlled it. I don't see that happening anymore. So that's why I ask myself, why are we pandering to less than 2% of a population rather than the 98% who don't feel that way? Because it's a spiritual issue. And we're fighting against demonic forces. We, we, we have to understand that. The vast majority of people like you and me that I know that are believers in Jesus Christ, I just want to love people, love God and love other people. That's all I want to do, love God and love them. And, and, and have them come to know Jesus as their Savior. But you, never, you need to be prepared because... A lot of people, you say, Pastor, I don't want to get called names like that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the question is, what are you going to do? This is an issue where we need to stand up together. You need to stand up. I need to stand up. Because whenever we do that together, it makes an impact on our culture. Again, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I do know that we have to do all three of these things. We have to live the truth. We have to speak the truth. We have to stand for the truth. We, we can't, you can't pick one or two or just one. We have to do all three. And that takes commitment. That is how our culture will be changed. And that is why there is such a value in marriage. I'm going to ask you to bow with me. As we close, I'd like to pray for a moment before we sing a chorus and be dismissed. Father, thank you for marriage. Lord, I pray for the marriages of every person in this church. God, you know that marriage is a struggle sometimes and difficult others. And sometimes there's reasons why it ends. Sometimes it's a joy and it's wonderful. But I pray for those that are struggling right now. Please protect our marriages. Save them, strengthen them. And I don't want to forget, Lord, those who may want to be married, but they're not yet, that you would put hope in their heart, that you have a plan. Let us know that you've not left us alone. Now I want to give you a chance to pray any prayer of commitment that you would like. Lord, I, maybe you'd say, Lord, I commit to you my marriage. Lord, the marriages around me, I, I make a commitment to a fresh start. Let's stand together, and I want you to sing this chorus with me. Make us one, Lord. Make us one, Holy Spirit, make us one, let your love flow.
are one in some of you never sang that before now you know it let's do it one more time make us one Lord one Holy Spirit make us one let your bless y'all. Have a great, great Sunday afternoon. Enjoy it.